Ladies and gentlemen, we have done it. We have bested the year 2020. Let's give it up. Let's give it up for a wonderful year. No flaws whatsoever. No conflict. No pandemic. Everyone's in good health and good faith in our democracies. A wonderful, wonderful time uh, to talk about film. We're going to talk about film. Thank you all for coming with us. <laughs> David, it's been a very uh, eventful year, we'll say. And that hey, 2021 <laughs> might beat it. <laughs> it's looking interesting, you know. Looking interesting. It really is. It is a perfect hold my beer meme. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're really we're really one up in ourselves as a as a country. Um, it, I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, it's it's but, something. We're gonna talk about movies, David. Twenty twenty yeah. was a uh, was a weird year for cinema, uh, as you know. Uh, almost all of it shut down, nearly completely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but. That didn't stop us from watching a fuck ton of movies because there was a, a great more accessibility raised to film fests that were normally just so, so geo-locked um, that now you can have access to a lot of these bigger film fests from around the country. So we got to see a lot of really interesting movies. Um, streaming services obviously had a big year and they picked up a lot of those films that normally would have gotten a theatrical release or they did kind of hybrid ones where they had a partial in, in theater release and a digital release as well. So we got a couple of those. How do you feel about the year in general for movies? Overall, I really actually like this year for movies and it's kind of crazy to think because like, like putting these, these finest 15 lists together, I was like... There's a lot of, like, top contenders here. And that's with, like, a good chunk of the year of, like, the top films that I was looking forward to being pushed to next year. So, it's it's one of those weird situations where it's, like, if everything actually would have come out this year, this, I feel like, would have been a insane year for, for films. Even with those things getting pushed back? I'm going to go, I'm going to say it, David. This was an insane year for film. Yeah. Um, I, I took... I took part in a lot of online film fests, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Do you want to hear? You want to hear all the fun things I, I had? To, I got up to this year with film fests. Yeah. All right. This is in order of when they happened. Uh, these are some of the festivals I took part in this year. Speeches Film Fest, uh, the final one, I think, <laughs> which is uh, uh oh. Oh really? Uh, South by Southwest 2020. We are one. Uh, VMM's first Indigenous Film Fest. Uh, New York Film Fest 58. AFI Fest 2020. Uh, Goblin's Graduation 2020, uh, JXJ 30th Washington Jewish Film Fest, and New Directors, New Features 2020 Selections. Pretty, pretty wild. Um, that's more film fest than I usually take part in. And a couple of those are actually genuinely big film fests, which is very weird. (sighs) Nice. Yeah. How does it feel to be like a, 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 a film fest, uh, goer? Oh, it's wonderful, darling. Wonderful. (laughs) Did yes, you, I am the meet... type to go to film festivals, yes. Did you, did you officially meet Kermode in person? Are you guys, like, friends? Me, me and Mark, as I like to call him. Me and Mark <laughs> Kermode. We are... Uh, <laughs> well, well, I was chuffed to beats when I met him, surely. Oh. I'm, like, partial Tim Curry there, I think. Oh, Luna didn't like my impression. Luna Everyone, welcome our special guest, Luna. It's a dog in David's house. Woo! <laughs> it's not David's dog. It's just a dog. In my house. <laughs> Don't ask questions. <laughs> oh. 
Um, so we have a couple of different segments we get to. Obviously, the main bulk of this episode is going to be our Finest 15, where we break down uh, our own personal list of our Finest 15 movies of the year, uh, in order and ranked, uh, as always. Um, but we also have some other things to talk about. We're going to talk about our five worst movies of the year. We're going to talk about some notable numbers. We're going to talk about overrated and underrated. We're going to talk about biggest surprise, biggest disappointment. Let's just get into it, David. Let's do it. Where Let's are we starting? Where are we kicking this off with? Uh, we're going to start with just some notable numbers, I think. We're going to first start off with how many movies we saw. Just to give you a little bit of context into how large and all-encompassing these lists are. They're a pretty thorough lists. There are only a few exceptions that I think we did get to miss, um, which we'll talk about uh, at a later time, just because there's already so much jam-packed in this episode. I think most of the big ones we did actually manage to see. Some of the ones that I was kind of worried I wasn't going to get to see, I did see. But uh, my total number for the year, um, I include um, short films, a few stand-ups, a couple limited series and visual albums in there. So, like, that's my normal list. I'll also talk just features only because um, that's how David's list is. So just to kind of be fair to that. Um, my, my total number is 330, including like extra short Damn. films and visual albums, things like that, which is fucking insane. <laughs> that that's is a lot, so that's much. That's a lot of movies. That's a lot um, of David, what is your total numbers of features watched? This my year? total numbers of 2020 features was 206. 206. Interesting, David. Yeah. My total 2020 features only 210. Damn. I beat nice. David by four, and boy was it clutch. He even gave me a personal challenge. He told me to watch a film that was four hours long, right at I the did. end. And I did and it then, and beat him. And then pushed it two more days. <laughs> <laughs> that was just to watch that movie. <laughs> that was a long movie. Um, uh, David, let's get into some of our notable numbers, things that stood yeah. out for the year. What was the first movie you watched this year? The first movie I watched this year was... In theaters, that's a big deal. That's a big deal for 2020. Uh, <laughs> it was the little film Underwater. I don't know why I said it like that. I was yeah. actually pretty excited for this movie. Um, except for like the, the last two thirds kind of suck. Um, yeah. Had, had a neat yeah. visual style. Yeah. Cool premise. But it was, it was gracefully short. I will say that. <laughs> True. Also... Um, the writer of this film, um, Brian Duffield, also had a crazy year where if it wasn't for Steve McQueen, like, coming out with, like, a hundred movies, this guy wrote two other films that came out this year, which That's is, like, crazy, kind of crazy, yeah. Um, Ethan, what's your first film? Uh, my, my first movie I saw this year was also in theaters, uh, and that was Weathering With You. Uh, which is oh! a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm so... That's such a cool way to kick off the year. I'm so happy I did that. Yeah. I saw that a little bit later, also in theaters. Um, yeah. What was that. the 100th film you saw? 100th film, Tenet. Ooh. That's all I'm going to say. Talk about that later. All right. Uh, my 100th of the year was Bad Education, the Corey Finley film. Very, very oh, good. Nice. Uh, you did break 200. What was your 200th film of the year? I did. My 200th film, Shadow in the Cloud. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yep. they can't yep. all be winners. <laughs> didn't start with Underwater. Uh, my 200th of the year was Time. Uh, a very, very interesting documentary. That's so crazy. That was your 200th. Holy now, shit. Now, I that's... have some more things to go through. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, last year, my total films was 230. 
uh, compared to like my, my total total list uh, with mm-hmm. this year's 100 more than that, which is crazy. Um, so the one that beat last year's, so my 230th film of the year, was Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Damn. Uh, which we'll talk about. <laughs> Good fucking film right there. Uh, my 300th film of the year was A White White Day. Uh, which is an Icelandic film. Very good. Uh, And my final film of the year was City Hall, an absolute monolith of a film. What was your your final film of the year? Final film of the year was Baccarat. Ooh. Yeah. A very, very cool final film. I know. That was one of my early films. It was. I was, I kind of slept on this one. You're a big sleeper. Big sleepy boy. I I was. (laughs) Now let's move on to... The biggest surprise and the biggest disappointment of the year. Let's kick it off with our biggest disappointment. Biggest disappointment. This was a film um, that I was really looking forward to based on the uh, previous film from the writing-directing duo Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz, who originally directed uh, Goodnight Mommy, Mm, which is a really, really good uh, horror film, and they came up with their directorial writing debut or uh, follow-up, The Lodge, uh, which was starring Riley Keough, who I'm also a really big fan of, and I thought it looked fantastic. It wasn't. I was pretty disappointed. It also was getting really, really good reviews. So I was like, oh my gosh, they did it again. I think it's like Certified Fresh, like 80s, I want to say. Um, and it's just, re- it's, it's a bad film. It's just not good. <laughs> Um, my biggest disappointment does not have uh, some critics on its side. I think everyone kind of really hates this one. Um, I, this is one I was excited about from the first image they released on set. And that is Guns Akimbo. Oh, damn. Uh, what, it looked like it was going to be a very fun Daniel Radcliffe, kind of like crazy comic book, quirky film. And it's just utter garbage. Yeah. It is yep. like... <laughs> Like, not funny shit posting, really, like, edgy in a dumb kind of, like, monster energy way. It's, mm-hmm. It fucking blew, dude. It blew chunks. It was not fun. <laughs> what about yeah, something? Let's, let's, let's make it positive. Let's make it positive. Biggest surprise of the year. My Biggest, biggest surprise? Oh, damn. Yep. I wanted to no, change you it go. up a little bit, David. No, yeah. No, take it, take it, take it. My biggest surprise was a film that I heard nothing about. And I just kind of jumped in without knowing anything about it and was just blown away by how much I really, really enjoyed it. And that was the French film The Kiosk. Um, It is a documentary all about a newspaper stand, like a little newspaper kiosk right in in Paris. And if if it was a written drama, I would probably hate it. You have so many like kind of weird quirky characters that come up and you see so much of the world all through the eyes of this little newspaper stand and that Mm -hmm. sounds like kind of an annoying film if it's a narrative that is like fiction but when it's real and done in kind of like an inventive way it's actually really really enthralling it's also pretty short too Hmm. um which which helps it a lot um but yeah definitely check it out it's really really good my biggest, my biggest surprise for the year was a Hulu original release, and that is Palm Springs. Um, I really didn't expect anything from an Andy Samberg-led film, um, 
But this thing's awesome. I had such a good time with this. I saw it the day it released, so I didn't really, I knew nothing about it. I was like, what is this? Time, little, like, time warp film? Um, oh, I shouldn't say that, because you really don't know about that when you first open it up, and I really didn't know about that when I, like, started. I was like, what is this? I was like, this is, like, a weird intro. I fucking loved it. Ranked really high with me, too. Let's move on into overrated and underrated movies, David. We're yes. We're going to our, our most overrated, most underrated. Uh, which one do you want to start with? Um, we can keep it in the same order and start with the bad first. Okay. So, overrated? Yeah, what um, was your most overrated film? My, over- my most overrated film was... Oh God, I feel so bad saying this. It was Possessor. I, like... I think it's like high 90s, low maybe low 90s on yep. Rotten Tomatoes. Yep. I've seen it show up on a lot of best of the year lists. And like visually it's pretty cool. I just I I was like pretty disappointed with it overall. I don't know. I I think I just like it got way too hyped up for me. And it's like yeah, that was cool. Very was cool fair. Fun. Very fair. Yeah. Uh my most overrated film this year was Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Mm. I not a not a huge fan of it. Um, I think I think it's still decently well made, but I think there's a lot of like tone issues and pacing issues. Like it has it has some of the things that normally makes Aaron Sorkin really enjoyable, and in this film, I think some of those kind of tropes end up being kind of grating at this point. Um, I just I'm worried. I don't think we're gonna get really anything fresh and new from Aaron Sorkin again. And that kind of bummed me out. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does make sense. What was your underrated film of the My year? My most underrated film uh, is Cockroach. This is oh, a documentary. I'm doing a lot of documentary pitches today. You are. This is good to um, for docs, is, though. Yeah. So uh, this is from the same director as Human Flow. Uh, I don't know if you remember that from from a few years back. He also had a movie called Coronation come out this year, which is about the pandemic. But this one is all about the Hong Kong protests. Um, it is really brutal. It is very upsetting. Uh, it is very real and very intense. Um, and it's so good. Like, I've heard no buzz at all about this. Um, it's insane. Hmm. Interesting. My underrated film was one that I've talked about before on the podcast and to you. I had just a really good time with it. That's Kid, the Kid Detective. Um, mm, okay. I thought this was just like a really good mystery film um, that was like a little bit darker than I had expected it to be. And I haven't heard anyone say a single thing about it. And I just, I really liked it. I, I loved this film. And I Very had to put good. it somewhere. I wasn't making, make, wasn't making the top 15. <laughs> let's start talking about the cream of the crop david let's start getting into the really really good ones that didn't quite make our list um you and i we both picked out five honorable mentions we this is one of the few parts of our list that we actually talked to each other before right now um (laughs) to kind of make sure that we're highlighting films that aren't going to be talked about in the rest of our list we wanted to do that to make sure that when we're even honorable mentions it's films that may not be the number 16 and the number 17 on our list but ones that we really really want to highlight yeah so i can kick this off um this is a film that i really didn't know how to like position but i like i loved it and i had wanted to see it for a very long time i don't uh, it's 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 a really weird one for me and that's the Hamilton, the interesting, the, 
yeah now like, I've, ineligible for the academy awards yeah i so i love <laughs> i love the play the like the the actual like soundtrack is like one of my most listened to like full soundtracks ever it's really good but been wanting to see it for a long time but obviously it's very hard a to get tickets um and b it's like the the actual like original crew isn't really like doing it anymore um and so i i love that disney plus just dropped this and was like enjoy so yeah my 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 first honorable mention i want to highlight and again these ones are in no particular order mm-hmm. um the first one i want to highlight is uh very different <laughs> um <laughs> this is garrett bradley's time um which is a really really intense and emotional kind of tale of mostly the biggest case for prison abolition we've gotten in in quite a while in terms of uh like documentary features talking about this other than outside like maybe the 13th (laughs) um but this is a, a very very human and very very rich story uh that just really breaks you down and it's one of the few uh that doesn't kind of lift you back up again because it doesn't have an excessively happy story there there are moments of relief but overall there's not a lot of not a lot of great outcomes based on on things that have happened um definitely worth checking out bring a box of tissues uh bring some queer feminist theory and have a wonderful time well wonderful i say wonderful yeah (laughs) have a have a remarkable time yeah um another one on my list which will be a little quicker about is uh, a film that i think would have struck or landed a lot higher on the list if i would have seen this closer to the end of the year i think this is one of those films that just like came out earlier in the year and was really really good at the time but kind of gets forgotten about uh as as the year went on, and that's Spike Lee's Defy Bloods. Fantastic film, amazing, amazing performance from uh, Delroy Lindau, Jonathan Majors, um, Chadwick Boseman's in here, and he's really good. Um, and it's a really unique type of story that I I just really, really enjoyed. Um, <laughs> uh, it just, I think it just, it came out really early in the year, I think that just is what kind of kicked it down the, the list a little bit. But I want to talk about it because it's still a really good film. Understandable, understandable. Um, one that I think also had a kind of similar issue is The Assistant. Um, this is a really, really intimate and intense look at, uh, I guess, I won't be too gentle about it, about male rape culture. Uh, and sexual harassment in the workplace and how a lot of that gets covered up or pushed aside in all of these kind of little conversationalist ways. Um, And this is one that, again, does not have a happy ending. This does not have a lot of emotional, like, breakdowns or big dramatic resolutions. It is a quiet and cruel film um, that feels painfully real for the majority of people in America, or at least half of the population that has to go through a lot of this. Um, well worth checking out. Definitely, definitely, definitely recommend Kitty Green's The Assistant. Yeah, it's really good. Um, another one that falls into, like, I think, like, the same bucket of, like, early view, like, early viewing of it in the year, and, like, it was one of those movies I saw, and I was like, holy shit, 
I can't wait to talk about this at the end of the year. Like, this is going to be, like, a high-ranking film. And then you just see so many fucking things. Uh, and that's the documentary Midnight Family. I saw this. I was in love with it. I, like, I was absolutely blown away. This, like, the, I think the first movie uh, this year that, like, I saw it and was like, holy shit. Like, that's a t that, that's the finest 15 film right there. And it fell off the list. <laughs> it sucks to say, but like, yeah, I, no, I, I feel when you, I, I feel saw you. this, I was, I loved this. I was like, this is like, I can't believe how good this was. Um, it tells the story about a, a, uh, privately or a family run ambulance in Mexico city. Uh, and just the, what they go through on a day to day, uh, uh, journey. It's, it's fantastic. It's really, really good. My next one is monopoly of violence. Uh, this is another documentary because uh, I love documentaries, and this was a great year for documentaries. Um, Monopoly of Violence at one point was like in my number three spot on my list, <laughs> so it's been yeah, a wild, I... a wild year for it. Um, this is all about uh, some of the riots in France. Um, this is a very kind of diegetic and uh, disruptive look at all the things happening. That it really comes into these kind of philosophical questions about what policing can or should look like um, and the kind of idea of who has the monopoly on violence what really is violence and who gets to determine what is justified or unjustified violence um, in a way that we're not we're not quite there in america to have any sort of poignant discussions and urgent discussions like that here uh, it, it is a very intense film uh, like a lot of the other ones i've mentioned so far um, and because it's a documentary, a lot of that intensity that you see is real. Um, so brace yourself for that. But it's it's well worth it. It's a very very cathartic year for me for a lot of documentaries. <laughs> also, uh, we do you you did talk about this like I think more in length um, in the in the previous New York Film Festival episode that we did. So if you yes. want to check out that, it's there. Um, my number four is I'm Thinking of Ending Things by Charlie Kaufman. Super powerful movie. Super, super intense emotionally. Um, Jesse Bunkley, Buckley, Bunkley, Buckley, <laughs> and uh, Jesse Plemons, two Jessies, uh, both really good. I love this movie. It's so unique and so different. Um, it just barely, it barely fell out. It was so, it was like in there and then the final week, it lost. It really sucks. R.I.P. Really good film. Hate to see it go. Um, next, I want to talk about Mogul Mogli. Um, this is a project from Riz Ahmed um, that goes through a lot of different topics. Um, it is one of the most kind of intensely experimental films about dysphoria um, that I've seen in quite a while. I think the, the last really significant one that I remember is Blind Spotting. Um, this kind of weaves in and out of like the music being a part of it as well as some more emotional and some medical stuff going on all about what it is like to be an immigrant uh in england um it's really really good absolutely check it out riz ahmed is on fire this year big ups to riz ahmed super good year yeah fantastic year oh my god um my final one is one that I was, like, really, really excited for it. and then initial reviews came out, and I was like, oh, no. I was like, is this going to disappoint? So I sat on it for a little bit, and then I watched it, and I was like, fuck, I love this movie. And I really wanted this to make the top 15, but, God, what a year it was. That's David Fincher's Mank. Um, 
this movie's just like so cool. I I had such a cool good time with this. Um, Gary Oldman is really really good um, as Herman J. Mankiewicz, also known as Mank, um, as he writes the screenplay for Citizen Kane, and it bounces around in times. It shows you different characters. Really really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Heck yeah. Uh, my my final honorable mention that I wanted to point out was also my final film of the year, and that is City Hall, a absolutely oh. monolithic <laughs> undertaking. <laughs> um, it's 272 minutes long, so Jesus, over four that, hours. That's crazy. Um, it is done by Frederick Wiseman, who is over 90 at the time of filming this. Um, and Damn. it is one that the scope of this is so impressive and really, really interesting. Like, it, it is one that, yes, it's long, but I still enjoyed it the entire time through. Even even at points that would be considered, m- like, mundane work, it's still really fascinating. Because you see the whole, pretty much the whole scope of city government and how it interacts both on, like, personal cases with each other, how it interacts with other departments, how it interacts as a whole... So you get a lot of these tiny kind of pinpoint moments and little tiny stories, whether that's uh, talking to a renter uh, with like pest control or whether that is people looking at traffic violations on the cameras. And then it also then goes into having the, those people that have traffic violations come in and try and, and like plead their argument of why they shouldn't be having those traffic violations and like having those conversations. And all of it is like, it, it looks... I guess the movie feels like a big board with a whole bunch of different newspaper cutouts and you have ticks or uh, like tacks on the board with a whole bunch of red lines going around all of it. But it's done in such a like for a four hour plus movie, a very digestible way. Obviously, four hours is still a lot regardless. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed it. It's very interesting. Um, and seeing kind of the, the very, the small, tiny bits of work that apply to this whole overarching, like, monolith construction. It's crazy. It's very good. I'm happy you watched it. I, I'm, I'm really happy I pushed you to, to <laughs> take this on. <laughs> I'm just saying, I do be watching long movies every year. You do. Last year, do. My, my other one was, what, A Hidden Life? Was my really long one last year? No, no, I was it? Which is even longer. Oh, no, last... you're right. It was, uh... Elf it was Sting Still. Yep, yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> Pretty long. Pretty long. Um, Ethan, it's time to dive in to the finest 15. Nope. What? It's time to dive into a friggin' dumpster, David. We gotta talk about the five oh, worst shit. movies we oh, saw God. this year. Oh no, oh shit, that's right. Oh god, oh no. <laughs> I almost oh. don't want to talk about him. Honestly, if I could do a, like, the, the, what's a bad word starting with F? The fuck offiest 15 of the year. Because I have so many bad movies at the bottom of my list, David. It's ridiculous. Absolute dog shit. Um, what was the fifth worst film you saw this year? The fifth worst film that I saw was The Night Clerk. 
Now, it's got actually a pretty, it's got a really good, um, cast. And that's what, like, drew me into this. So we got Ty Sheridan in the lead role as the Night Clerk. Um, Ana de Armas, Helen Hunt, John Leguizamo. Sounds pretty, sounds pretty good, right? Like, that's a cast you're like, I, I have faith in that cast. It, this movie's so bad. It's about a night clerk who's working the night shift, as you may have guessed. Um, um, he witnesses a... Not even witnesses. He, like... Uh, like, a murder takes place in the, in, in the hotel, and luckily he is, like, spying on the guests because he has cameras in the rooms. So he sees it, and then he, like, befriends Ana de Armas, and then, like, John Leguizamo starts investigating him. It's just, like... It's so, so bad. It's, like, really bad. It's just, like, there's, like, no positives about this. I watched, um... I watched a movie that I knew I was gonna hate. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah? And I was really, like, I was... It was one that I'm like, if I put this on, I will be upset. <laughs> and I watched it anyway. <laughs> well, and that is Free Lunch Express. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's just read this description real quick for everybody. From the creators who watched Airplane too many times, already fucking hate it. Already off, like, not wanting this at all. <laughs> From the creators who watched Airplane too many times comes the surreal story of Bernie Sanders. This farcical tale takes us from childhood to political icon with battles against the Clintons, drinks with AOC, and weed with Ben and Jerry along the way. I got, got so fucking mad watching this. <laughs> not, not because I don't think that there is anything that you can make fun of for, for progressive politicians. That's totally fine. I think there's enough kind of weird, kooky stuff with uh, with Bernie Sanders you can make fun of. But, like, you got to write jokes. And <laughs> I've talked about this before, but when when drama movies are bad, they can sometimes be funny, right? Mm-hmm. When action movies are bad, they're definitely funny. Mm-hmm. But when comedies are bad... They're just so empty and soul-sucking and just really, really gross to watch. And you just, you, like, leave and you're like, I just want to fucking, like, vomit. (laughs) I want to take a shower after watching it. It is so, so bad. And all of the, like, satire they do is, like, so baseline boring, like dumb like oh he's gonna make a pack with stalin for it and it's like it's just narrative and fear-mongering stuff i've we've heard so long god it's awful i I fucking hated this i got another comedy that fails to be a comedy um and the the most unfortunate part about it is that it is a sequel to one of the greatest comedies of all time that is the Jesus Rolls being being the sequel, not 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 the actual greatest comedy of all time. Jesus Rolls, fucking terrible. Um, this is the Big Lebowski sequel, right? Yeah, yep. So you got um, John uh, Tudorow's character, the Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, getting released from prison, and after he gets released from prison, he kind of just like goes on the run with his friends, um, committing crimes and not really doing anything. They like there's like a few three ways that happen. That's exciting. <laughs> That's always fun. Um, and there's just no real story to this. Like, I, I would have thought, like, there'd be more bowling in this movie. <laughs> there's not. And it's, like, really disappointing. It's just, like, n- not, like, no, no jokes land in this film. It's, it's, it's one of the most 
dry, humorless comedy films I think I've ever seen. Where, like, even, like, sometimes, like, like, I would expect, like, at least, like, one or two of the jokes to, like, hit and be like, that was actually, like, that was actually good. All of this bad. All of this big, big bad. Not good. Big pass. Yeah. Um, I, I started pretty early on the year, and, you know, I'm impressed this movie made it, made it as far as it did. Uh, Doolittle, my fourth worst film of the year, Doolittle, Robert Downey is there. Holy He's shit. He's doing an accent. Oh and also a bunch of Academy Award winning actors and Academy Award nominated actors, uh, you know, they're, you know, doing silly animal stuff. My God, is this a baffling film? I will say, despite it being absolutely nonsense garbage, it, it made me chuckle sometimes. Just, it is, it's one of those, like, impressively awful films, you know, where there's, like, like a fart gag that lasts for, like, two minutes where a dragon farts on Robert Downey Jr.'s face for, like, two minutes. And, like, that's just insane to have watched in a cinema. And, like, I watched that and I was like, that's the craziest thing that's going to happen this year. Um, and then uh, the rest of the year happened. And I was like, wow. Doolittle was quite tame this year, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was, I guess, a premonition for the, for the darkness that was uh, preceding it. Hmm. Um, I saw... Bella Thorne's 2020 feature, Infamous, which is, uh, uh, Infamous. here's the, here's the tagline. <laughs> here's the tagline of the film. Viral fame is a dangerous game. I feel like that kind of just gives it away. <laughs> like, so you got, you got a young couple, both coming from, uh, uh, troubled houses, um, that go on the run after murdering their father, one of their fathers, um, and then they start, like, um, chronicling their crimes on basically, like, this world's version of Instagram, and, like, live streaming, like, robberies and stuff, um, and they, they get really, they get really viral, viral fame, and Bella Thorne has this theory that if they get famous enough, well, that all of the crimes that they're committing won't, won't, won't matter, and it'll be worth it. And like they'll just they'll they'll get away with it all, and it's true. it's really it's true. Um, <laughs> it's it's interestingly enough, kind of a a modern day take on uh, Terrence Malick's uh, Badlands film with Sissy Spacek and uh, Martin Sheen. Really good film. Um, there's just nothing very inspiring about this film. It's just like really disappointing. The characters are so paper thin. <sighs> yeah. Yep. Yep, all the I hate talking about these movies. It's so disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> David, what would you say was a uh, defining event of 2020? Like a defining global event of 2020. Oh, I know what this movie is going to be. Are we talking about the world pandemic COVID-19? We are talking about the global ongoing pandemic. Yep, COVID-19. Now, Films get shut down, but not all of them. Some of them can get to work. Maybe if you do some, like, isolation shooting, you know, you can make some movie. And, you know, when something that big happens, you're obviously going to get a lot of, uh, like, a lot of people, you know, in the year after or so making movies about it. Whether that's 
uh, going to be like some tug at your heartstrings thing called like a essential worker or whatever, you know, like a Hallmark original type or a lot of like student films that are all going to be about like social distant and like all about like how to connect and find love on through a screen, you know, or Michael Bay could get involved and he can produce the film Songbird, which is a, I don't know, <laughs> dumpster fire of a movie. Um, it is set in the near future where, what is it, COVID-23 is raging and everyone is like forcibly locked inside by this ultra militant police force. And it's really cool and edgy. Um, I hate this movie. It is, it's very opportunistic in a very like distasteful way, but it's not, it's not even edgy enough to justify that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not like really, really pushing the bounds of like satire or anything like that, that could at least maybe excuse for its poor taste. It's just bad. It's just stinky doo-doo dog shit. Like the most, I don't know, honestly the most, like the closest they get to being like edgy or like, I hate to even throw the word poignant out there because it's so far from that. <laughs> but the closest yeah. they even get to making some sort of artistic point is when Bradley Whitford is like telling a prostitute to take off protective gear. When he's just like, oh yeah, baby, I don't want this face shield. No, I don't want you wearing this mask. No, I don't want you wearing these gloves. And it just sucks the whole time. And then it just ends because it's so quickly made that they had probably what, like fucking two days on a script? <laughs> yeah, probably. It's ridiculous. It's so dog shit. Adam Mason's yeah. a fucking joke. It is pretty fucking horrible, that's for sure. Um, my number two is a film that we have talked in length about. We have a full episode dedicated to this movie and this series of films. I'm not even going to dive into it. I'm just going to say the title. If you want to hear more about it, go find that episode. It's fucking painful. That's the Norm of the North family vacation. Fuck this movie. Fuck Norm. Fuck it all. <laughs> Except for that episode that we did. Really, really top quality shit right there. So go Big listen to that. Norm's Fuck this movie. Loser. <laughs> this movie that was is a garbage. You having to sit through those movies was a highlight of 2020 for me. True. <laughs> that was... Um, my next film on here is one that I've, I've talked to you about, but I don't think oh. I've talked on the podcast about it. Oh. It is a movie that has been considered one of the worst movies of all time for like two mm. years now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's Neil Breen's Twisted Pair. Now, a lot of people might be wondering, why is this a 2020 film? Why does this get to be on the list? Why does this count? Especially when I had so many other films this year. And that has to kind of do with the behind the scenes of distribution for this film. So this year it had started to be available on like public distribution sites, right? Or like easily accessible to the public rather. So you could get it on like Amazon video. You could get it on Google play. You could get it on iTunes, a couple of different things like that. That didn't happen until this year. There was a way you could watch this movie before. 
and you had to go to the most wild website that looked like the, the it looked like the website already had a virus on your computer when you were looking at it. Yep. And you would enter in your <laughs> yeah. like full information to them for them to mail out just a disk to you and the disk had like almost no printing other than just in plain aerial fucking Times New Roman font the title of the movie and it all looked so weird. And so, like, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to, like, sign my soul to the devil or whatever by going through <laughs> this weird backwoods website that felt like a deep web trap. <laughs> like, I felt like if if I would have done that, I would have gotten COVID, like, two years ago. God. That's what going to that website would have done. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> Honestly, uh, the movie itself, though, <laughs> oh, oh man, uh, Neil Breen is a true artist. Nothing can compare to his brilliance. I love it. It's delight. I'm not even gonna tell people about it. Just look it up. It is so baffling. <laughs> there are people don't, that have made don't. like full visual essays on it, being the wildest movie of all time. It is insane. There's so much green screen, and none of it's good. The few clips you sent to me, I think you actually just sent like gifts of them. Holy fuck. It's, it's like beautiful the fact that this isn't your number one that's astonishing right there <laughs> holy shit um my number one is a movie that i saw in theaters so i saw i think i saw it like january february and when i saw it i had so much hate for this film i could have written a fucking novel this one really and stuck stuck bad with you. it really did and it's kind of weird because of how crazy 2020 was I kind of forgot my hate for it, but every time I thought about this, I knew this needed to be my number one worst film of the year, because it's a fucking atrocious film. Um, that's Fantasy Island. This movie is garbage. Basically, you have like a handful of contestants who want a trip to this island where when you go there, all your fan all your wildest fantasies can come true. Um, one of those fantasies is just like having a party, like a, like a big pool party. Like what? That, what, that's, that's it? That's a horror movie, if I've ever that, heard one this that's year. That's it right there. Uh, another person's <laughs> wildest dream is to... One, one of the characters' wildest dreams is... He gets to be in the military. That's, that's his wildest what fucking dream. What a dream. What the fuck? What? <laughs> like, what? Um, this movie's really bad. The writing in this is like... It's... it's it's got to be the worst writing I've heard all year, where where some of the things that they say are just so, so, like, how did how did this get past, like, the first round of, like, edits and, like, like read-throughs without people going, like, that's, that's, that's not making the final movie. It's so bad. Don't watch it. D don't, don't think about it. We can all forget about this movie together. <laughs> It'll be really easy. David, we have, uh, we have a movie here. From, uh, uh, we'll say, uh, a man familiar with being at the number one worst movie of, of my, like, of my list before. Dang. He is no what? stranger is to being my least favorite film of the year. Really? We got a returning character for we the do, number one worst? We do worst? have a returning character. And... Perhaps more timely than ever in terms of this being the worst movie, but I will say this has been at the bottom number one spot for quite a while, to no surprise. Um, 
This is the film Trump Card. Oh my god, it is a return. Holy From shit. Everyone's favorite snake oil salesman and convicted felon Denise DeSozo. It is wholly irresponsible. It is disgustingly inaccurate. It is blatant propaganda that has, by all accounts, contributed significantly and financially gained from firestoking a coup attempt on the state capitol. And I don't think there's a way to make a movie worse than that. (laughs) (laughs) If your movie ends up helping fan the flames of baseless propaganda, of blatant lies, and just overall pushing and inciting violence through disgusting rhetoric and trying to call yourself a political filmmaker. It is completely and wholly unforgivable, morally rehensible, and utter dog shit. I hope Denise DeSozo gets hit by a bus in front of his grandmother. Like, <laughs> it is the worst thing. And it's, it's, it's very impressive for films to have an impact on a culture. Right? I think that's a notable thing. Um, but when your impact is uh, a man storming the Capitol tasing himself in the balls to the point where he literally dies after a heart attack, after tasing himself in the balls. I don't know if that's great moral vindication for yourself. I hate him. I hate this man so much. This movie is one of the worst things I've ever seen. And it actively caused the death of human individuals in the United States. I'm still shocked that you're still going. You're you're watching these films. I'm still it's shocked. Fucking, oh, gets me heated, David. Gets me heated. Ethan, are you ready to cleanse these bad films from your memory with some really good films? Let's talk about good films. Dare I say <laughs> the finest fifteen of the year? The finest fifteen of the year. Something Denise DeSouza will never get anywhere <laughs> fucking close to. This the fascist pig himself <laughs> before we get in here before we get in here um i just want everyone to know what me and ethan do for the final what is it month two months of the year we was november make our, so yeah. we make our yeah so final two months of the year we make our ranking list private yeah so the so other we one have cannot no see idea. yeah this is all new i'm very excited to see. and we won't even is. unlock our list until after we've read all of them out to each other then we can fully look at each other i'm not even gonna do it at all i'm never unlocking this list that's weird all right sorry i cut you off keep keep telling me what that number 15 is my number 15 is a movie that i didn't know if i was going to get to this year so this is a pretty recent watch for me this was in the last week before we recorded and it is a very very wild energetic intense insane movie this is india's submission for best international feature at the academy awards jolly katu I didn't know you watched this. What? It is absolutely insane. So essentially you have an escaped buffalo, right? Uh, in this kind of smaller village. And once, it, once you see it escape, there's a good portion of this where you don't really see the buffalo that much. But the madness 
and kind of chaotic, eccentric violence that surrounds this film. You have this kind of mob violence and mob group getting together in order to catch a wild animal. A very violent and frightened wild animal. So, I don't think it's any surprise that doesn't go exactly well. (laughs) This is a very, very frantic and frenzied, just absolute adrenaline ride. Um, It's shot exceptionally well. You have these really, really interesting long tracking shots with that are so dynamic and there's so much just things going on everywhere you the the amount of people involved in this of extras that are real and tangibly there is insane you have like it's controlled chaos i think is the best way to describe the filmmaking aspect of it it goes into this very like animalistic and primitive behavior from this group as they're just screaming and running around with these makeshift spears and like actual like torches that they're holding up as they're running through the woods and like creating traps that definitely don't work. Um, It is a visual delight. The score and sound design on this is so just like, it really gets your blood pumping and gets the energy up and it's, like it's a visual assault in a in a very enjoyable and rewarding way and it's such a baller movie <laughs> i had so much fun with it david you got to check this out i'm going to it was on the list to watch i added it to my watch list on uh prime video cuz it's <laughs> on amazon prime if you want to watch it anyone um i just never got around to it it's um, so good but but i'm so happy that you got it to see it because I do, I do, I do kind of feel like I uh, recommended that one to you. Um, and yes, but you hadn't watched it yet, so it's fine. I know, I know, I know. I just, I, I brought it to your attention. A film that you did watch and did recommend to me to watch that took me a long time to get around to uh, is my number fifteen. So I, I, I feel like that's that's kind of nice that uh, we we oh cute. Our number fifteen is it's a trade film. Um, and that oh, is I love you, David. Oh, um, <laughs> I saw Dick Johnson is dead. From my number 15. Uh, this is a documentary that follows, you guessed it, Dick Johnson, um, and is directed by his daughter, um, who is the who is the filmmaker behind this. She is filmmaking or she is di- making a documentary following uh, Dick Johnson mm-hmm. as he the titular, the titular Dick Johnson, um, as he kind of just lives and dies over and over. Uh, it's a film. It's a documentary that that realizes um the mortal the 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 mortality of everyone and it, it it just it faces that in such a way that i don't think i've ever seen like that realization that like we are all here for a limited amount of time and eventually like we will all die um in in a way like this like dick johnson is a fucking legend a eh? dude's awesome it's a film that is inspired because of their mother's or hit her, her mother's, mother's her mother's um alzheimer's and and the effects of that um and her wanting to be able to document the final years that she has with her father um and his like his memory of everything and what we see happen throughout this film this documentary is a time jump where we go from seeing a very uh still an older but very spry and very uh 
energetic and in and, and, and like mentally fully there and aware real chipper uh, dick. jolly old yeah. man yeah and within i think it's a i want is it a year two jump um it's not that it's not like that long um you can see those 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 mental changes there which Death slowly is, approaching him yeah it which is very very hard to see i know i i experienced that with uh, my grandparents who uh two of them had alzheimer's and it was it's it's a very hard thing to like see happen in such a compressed uh time frame um but seeing it put put together like that is just kind of kind of uh shocking um uh what like one of the scenes that they they uh fabricate is is a fake funeral in the speeches that happen there and seeing his friends speak at his funeral but not actual funeral because like he's there is is oh my god it's just like such a real and like heartbreaking moment i i love this i was like genuinely shocked at how much this hit me um i love this film this is really good this is really good top quality filmmaking right here um ethan Hello. Give me that number. Give me that number fourteen. My number fourteen is the happiest movie I saw all year. Oh, perfect! It is so full of joy, and whimsy, and wonder, and utter delight in a incredibly gorgeous and tactile presentation, and that's Cartoon Saloon's Wolfwalkers. Um, I was okay. I did not know Cartoon Saloon preceded that. I was like, what the hell is this? Another one? <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, uh, this is, so the studio that, that produced this is the Irish animation, uh, dream house, um, <laughs> called Cartoon Saloon, uh, and Wolfwalkers is the latest from them, and I think is one of my favorites of the studio. Um, the animation is spectacular. One of my all-time favorite, like, Disney Renaissance films was Pocahontas, specifically how it invoked nature and its use of color, and this knocks it out of the park does that so much better than Pocahontas ever did. Um, there are, obviously this is still at many points a children's film, but that is in no way uh, bad or vindictive of its quality uh, and its story. Um, the animation is really what drives it over the edge. Obviously you have a, a enjoyable story with really, really great child voice actors, which is something that is pretty hard to get, honestly. And they did they knocked it out of the park for that. Um, but you have an engaging story. But on top of all of that, you have some of the most inventive and stylish animation since Into the Spider-Verse. I love this so much. Um, I think there's also, there's a lot of great animation on some of the short film scenes, but David doesn't like talking about short films because he uh, hates art, I guess. Um <laughs> But it's so good. The framing and the composition of each shot is so interesting and diverse from shot to shot. Um, and it has some of the most interesting perspective shots I've seen in, like, any animation film. That to do in a movie of this scale and of this size is unheard of. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It is delightful. It is charming. It is dangerously good. <laughs> It is very good. And an Apple Plus TV original. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that, that might that might make it worse. <laughs> My number but 14 I, I actually is also to... Greyhound. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just I, got to, I got to see Wolfwalkers in theaters, and it was such a delight. I'm so happy 
I got that is it. like the biggest flex ever. I wish I could have seen this on the big screen. Holy shit. It would look so good. I'm just built different, you know? Oh, shut up. I hate you. <laughs> you know, um, I'm actually a wolf walker. Little oh, yeah? Yeah. Nice. It's pretty cool. Um, You know what's <laughs> kind of weird is your number 14 and my number 14 are uh, both wolf-related movies. Oh. My number 14, oh, this is actually such a weird curveball for you. Uh, my number 14 is Bad Education, starring Hugh Jackman. Wait, sorry, what? <laughs> who is famously known for his role as Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> Wolverines uh, are not wolves. Shut up. Wolverine is an animal. All right, I'm that is not a wolf. No, no, you gotta live with that transition. I'm pleased with it, honestly. I'm very pleased with it because it was it was also it, it was a setup for a film, but also a double fake for another film. My next I'm... film is also about pasta. James <laughs> and the Giant Peach is a delightful yeah. time. <laughs> Not even close. Bad Education follows the uh, the. <laughs> um, it is, it it's it, based on a true story of a superintendent uh, embezzlement uh, of a school district. Where he is basically stealing funds through uh, faulty uh, bookkeeping and paying it a lot to himself and other people who are involved in the scheme. Um, and the beautiful thing with this true story is it's not discovered by a crack team of investigators or a uh, a, a a detective who's like really interested in where all these funds are going, um, but rather a student at the school, a high school student. Who is just happens to be on the uh, the school newspaper, and happens to be taking a few questions uh, for a puff piece in the school newspaper that just doesn't sit with her right, and so because of the pressure from the actual superintendent behind the entire scheme for never settling for just like middling work, but always pushing to like get to the bottom of something and figure something out. <laughs> Uh, she continues to to dive into the story and try to figure out what's actually going on. Um, and I love that, like, duality of this film where it's like his pressure on her is ultimately what causes the downfall uh, of everything. Hugh Jackman is, is like, scarily good in this film uh, where his, like, just, like, I think I put this in, like, my, like, letterbox review, where, like, his, all of his skin is actively acting in this film. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, like, I, it's so weird seeing him here, and then also seeing him in, like, Logan, like, two years ago, or however long ago that was. Um, the, the, uh, reporter, uh, played by Geraldine Viswanathan? Nice, Probably. nailed it. Did, do you think so? Did, did I actually? Sure, if you want. Uh, maybe. She's fantastic in this and has also appeared in a few other things since then and she's she's really good. Uh, Allison Janney as the... Uh, um, I, I don't know her exact position. She is basically uh, Hugh Jackman's um, like right-hand person. Uh, she's fantastic. I love this film. It's it's a true story investigative piece from journalism, journalism piece that is taking from like such a unique perspective of a student investigator also so good Corey finley fantastic director i loved their yeah. previous film thoroughbreds uh and yeah you're right it's such a such a baller film yeah i loved it yeah really good also shout out to 
Raphael Casol for making an appearance in here from his follow-up and blind spotting, which of course I love, uh, and seeing him appear in something else is always really exciting. He's Keep very good in it too. He's really good in this. It's great. Now, Ethan. Oh. I, I'm going to continue my route of... Uh, Wolf-related films? Of films uh, set and produced in a foreign country. Foreign to America, where we are. Because <laughs> obviously, if you live in those countries, it's not foreign to you. Yep. That's, that's <laughs> I don't need to explain Thanks. that. Thank you. Wait, can, we, can, you dive, can you explain that just a little bit more for me? Hold on, I need a second. Give me some more information on that concept. <laughs> My next film is the Brazilian bloodbath that is Baccarat. Oh! It is such a blast and wild and vicious and brutal. And it is one that just keeps you guessing the entire runtime of the movie. Every 20 minutes or so, you'd be like, I have no idea what type of movie this is going forward. (laughs) But that is not to say that it is uh, too uncoordinated or unskilled it is that it is so impressive in how it sucks you in to this intense and just viatile or like via yes sure is that the word you're looking for yep it is Uh, i'm not saying the word you're saying the word is that the word you want yes (laughs) okay (laughs) it's a crazy nightmare of a movie um the reason so this is a pretty similar one to my number 15 Um, The reason I put this one ahead is because you have a lot more characters and moving parts that you can jump on and latch onto and really, really follow their story throughout this crazy puzzle. Um, It's, I've never been so confused by a movie in such an engaging way. Like, when I say confused, I really don't mean that I was uninvested in any way. I was never like... I don't know what's going on. It's more of like, whoa, what's going on? And that's a pretty big difference between those two kind of concepts of a film. It is so much fun. I have a sneaking suspicion this is not the last time we are speaking of this on the podcast today. That may be, may be accurate. <laughs> I loved it so much. I watched this very early on. I kept hounding David over and over to watch it. And he did. <laughs> so I hopefully we'll hear what he has that to I say. Did. I loved it. Speaking of hounds, and a close descendant of hounds, uh, back to my original point, wolves. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, my like number butter. thirteen. It's smooth like <laughs> butter, David. My number thirteen is the Wolf of Snow Hollow. Uh, <laughs> Jim Cummings' second film after Thunder Road, which was equally fantastic, uh, which is his take on the. Uh, werewolf trope, horror film trope, film style. And that is Wolf of Snow Hollow. I think I already said that. This movie's fucking awesome. If you like Jim Cummings, you're going to love this. I love Jim Cummings. His type of humor is so funny. Uh, it's another film where he plays a police detective who is a terrible father and also an alcoholic. <laughs> just, I love this running theme in his films. Holy shit. Um, this movie follows Jim Cummings, a... Uh, police officer as he tries to figure out what is going on with all of these gruesome murders in snow hollow um which unfolds in a very fun and eventful way um yeah i like this movie this movie is really cool this uh this is the one 
like there's two films on my list that I really really wanted to watch one last time before finalizing this list just because I thought that they had a shot of going higher I just never got around to it but I will be watching this again very soon Jim Cummings films. deadpan dark comedy it's just, he delivers every line so well it's like it's oh, it's shocking that 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 he is he is writing directing and leading these films and crushing all three of them like he is uh, like, he is if Tommy Wiseau had talent he is putting in all the work yeah, yeah. on all regards but knocking I, it out of the park every time he's my hero he also loves letterbox which like legend fucking legend <laughs> he's so cool Ethan, give me your number. Is you got more wolves on your list? Can we can, can we keep this going? Much much like the fire and passion of a wolf, um, that fire and passion are are parts of this movie. I don't know. Is that a is that good enough for you? Terrible. We're Terrible. keeping it. We're keeping with some uh, some foreign films. <laughs> we're going with the Chilean film Emma. Um, this is the same director who also did Jackie a few years back, which I was completely blown away by. Uh, and this is quite a different movie from that. Um, this is a very loud and in-your-face and bold and abrasive <laughs> drama uh, with a lot of really, really dark and intense moments and some wildly ludicrous moments. And it is done in such a jaw-dropping way. Its opening shot is a traffic light on fire. And it gets crazier from there. So, you know, <laughs> wild. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it so much. It is very strange. It is definitely a movie that I fuck with a lot more than David would. <laughs> I think this is one of those films that might be a little too weird for David. I think he'll enjoy it, but he'll be like, that was kind of weird. <laughs> but it's really good. Really good. Uh, the basic story is a dance group where the kind of two power heads at the top of it are slowly drifting apart after a very, very traumatic event happens uh, where they decide to return their child back to the adoption agency um, after some violent and catastrophic things occur. And then some more wild and violent catastrophic things occur. It's a wild movie. I did not watch this. So this I think this is the first, no, second film to make the list that I haven't seen. Damn, we're not even far into the list. Holy shit. <laughs> um, my number 12 has nothing to do with wolves, surprisingly. I think you're really pushing for what you want the film, uh, like, the, the, the theme the, of the, theme the year. The theme of the year? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not down for it. <laughs> it's clearly wolves. Um, my number 12 is Pixar's Soul. Uh, this movie... Well, you, of course, so... have the soul of the wolf. You have True. inside Inside of you, David, are two wolves. And both suck. <laughs> inside of me, you got two wolves. One on your left uh, has clips and snippets from the main episode. And on the right... <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to know what it felt like to be you for a moment. Oh, beautiful. I loved it. That was gorgeous. That was gorgeous. Can we just clip that and actually just clip it at the end? Clip it and rip it, baby. Uh, Soul tells the story of what it means to be yourself and be unique and what, what you're in, in, in discovering what your purpose in life is and, and what it means to be alive. 
I love this. First of all, I'm a big fan of Inside Out. I think this actually is like the next step uh, from a creative standpoint where some of the stuff that Pixar is doing in here and the animators are doing with their uh, conceptualization of like the afterlife and and everything in that realm of this film is so unique and so interesting and so inspired that I was I was in love within like 25 minutes of this film um, and everything that follows there's a few things that 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 started tiptoeing towards maybe a little too kiddish um, but the heart and the warmth of this film is always there and able to just like like bring everything back together. I loved it. I really liked it. Also, the, the the actual music in this film, fucking top notch. Holy shit. I really dug it. Um, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. I really enjoyed this. You know, Ethan they, hated it. Ethan I saw think, this and said, I hate this film. <laughs> I think, I think that a person's soul is missing something. I think when you're born in your soul, you're missing something. And that is a steady and consistent blood alcohol content level. <laughs> My number 11 is another round. That's right. So far, all uh, non-American films. That's pretty cool, huh? Um, this is Thomas Vinterberg's uh, latest film uh, starring Mads Mikkelsen. They've, of course, worked together on The Hunt uh, a few years back. And you essentially have this group of teachers that decide they want to experiment with alcoholism. <laughs> um, but it is much smarter than just a romp that is a drinking film, right? This is not just let's get drunk and have some laughs and there are no consequences. It is able to have that enjoyableness of drunk uh, or of being drunk with your, with your buds. But it is a little bit more complex with that. It deals with the consequences, and it is not done in just a kind of figure-wanging way of like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it is a very intelligent and very, very well thought out look at alcoholism. All aspects of it. It also features perhaps the greatest final dance number of any film ever made. And that's so true. A fact. Mads Mikkelsen is fantastic in this. I thorough, thoroughly enjoyed him. He is, he's got so much charisma, even when he doesn't have charisma. <laughs> uh, he just oozes with watchability. It's it's so enjoyable. Absolutely check it out, and uh, you know, have a drink, have a drink with it, or two, three, four. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> My number 11 is is a movie all about what it means to be human. And be No, I just did that one. No, no, no. And be alive in this world no, no, without substances. Um that is Chloe Zhao's No Man Land. Mm. Nomadland? Yeah. A little bit lower than I thought it was going to be. Um but fuck what a fucking year. Holy shit. Uh Francis McDormand leads this role in it's hard to say. I think her best role ever, 
but I think it is. It's just so hard to say that because that's bullshit. What a career! I know. Um, Chloe Zhao has made the most human film of the year. I think I'm pretty sure that's. Off. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think that's true. Um, it follows uh, Frances McDormand, who is a nomad, um, who is living in her uh, van after. Um, what's, what's the name of the company that they opened with in the opening text? Oh, I forget what it's called. It's like the rubber company, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that went under. The and, rubber company. And, and I, it, it, it's a rubber company, right? I just forget what the name of it was. I believe so. Um, which also, that opening text, where they're like, after this went under, the entire zip code was like, rem- like discontinued. Everyone gone, I was, yeah. I was that's like, I didn't crazy. know that was a thing that could Reverse happen. Reverse Boomtown. Yeah, that was, that's crazy. Um... And so she is she is pushed to start living in in her van as a nomad, um, and living her life on the road, going from job to job to job, uh, trying out different things and just experiencing life and the beauties of the world, uh, and also sometimes the, the, the horrors of 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 life. If if I didn't know that this was a film, I would tell you that this was a documentary. It is so real in stripped of any flair that would typically show up in a f- film like this. Like, I, I saw another movie uh, that that follows a nomad, and it it felt like a movie. It Really good, still. So, uh, uh, History of the Short Road or something like that. So really good film. But this feels 100% natural in in every, every, every single way. Um, also, it gave me a reason to go to Waldrug. Um, I, got, I didn't know that there's a giant 68 foot dinosaur there. So like, I'm going, obviously. Uh, so we're going to do, we're, we'll, we'll do a road trip out to Waldrug just, just so you can see that dinosaur, David. Oh, we can record a podcast live from Waldrug in the dinosaur. Live the dinosaur. It's <laughs> a really good movie. Um, yeah, yeah. Are you on to number 10? Mm-hmm. Are we diving into our... Top we 10? are here. This is the real Woo! cream of the crop right here. This is where it gets real good, David. David, I don't know if you noticed, but there was a uh, massive medical emergency leading to uh, some substantial number of deaths that uh, was an eye-opening depiction of the flaws in not only the medical industry, but in uh, the government as a whole. Oh no, I'm not talking about the U.S.'s responses to the global pandemic known as coronavirus COVID-19. I'm talking about the film Collective. You like that transition? That was pretty good. 2020, what a year. (laughs) This is one of the best journalism films I've ever seen. Um, You start with a awful tragedy that then unfolds. And it's a sports gazette that uncovers and really pushes <laughs> this uh, awful tragedy occurring, leading to a lot of negative public response, more pressure from journalists towards the government officials, leading to a dramatic shift in who is in control of the government. It is so interesting. And there are so many points that I completely forgot I was watching a documentary. It completely sweeps you away in it. You get really, really fascinating looks at the journalist side, but also at one of the new ministers of health that is brought in from Vienna to fix everything going on. Um, It is wild. It is eye-opening. It is alarming. It is 
I would say unbelievable, but we've literally lived through it. <laughs> it is still happening. Um, I think it's one of the most timely films of the year. For a year that's had a lot of things to be timely about, I think this is the one that kind of nails 2020 right on the head in a shocking and soul-shattering way. What an expose. Wow. This, I feel like this is going to be the biggest like pivot in themes for our films of the year. Uh, my number 10 is Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Hmm. It's got two tens in the title, and it's in the number ten on the list. Oh my god! It's a film theory. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like this movie got a lot of mixed reviews when it came out, which is understandable. Um, it's not a perfect film by any means. Um, I still fucking love this. This is. People have said this. This is my original thought. This is like the most Christopher Nolan film Christopher Nolan has ever made, which is a bad thing for some... For better and for for worse, yeah. Yeah. But like, for the things that it works, it's like, I am so on board for it. Um, Fuck, the final like 30 minutes of this movie is like so dense and like, it took me two viewings to like fully understand like, okay, what's happening at this point? What's happening here? To like fully get that. Um, John David Washington... That man is an action god. Holy shit. Like, just him sliding is, like, the coolest thing I've seen all year. Um, I really like this movie. I bought this movie. I watched this movie. I'm I'm all on board. (laughs) I've seen the movie. I've thought of the movie. I've heard of the movie. I am the movie. Um, (laughs) I'm the protagonist. (laughs) Um, also, (laughs) Also, Robert Pattinson's in this thing. My 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 dear, that friends. is that is true. He's there. He's in this movie. He's in this movie. He's doing things. He's he might be delivering some of the most cringe dialogue in this film, but also some of the best dialogue in this movie. It's crazy how much good and then like some bad in this film. But I still loved it. Oh, what a theater experience! This is this is the theater experience for 2020. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Finger snaps. Um, one, one weird theme that's been a connective tissue of a lot of the films I've mentioned so far, Wolves? whether that's my, uh, honorable mentions. Nope. <laughs> this is a serious one. Um, that's my honorable mentions, uh, or uh, other ones in my top 15 and some more that we'll get to, uh, is the idea of quiet cruelty, uh, and how unforgiving the world can be. And that is the film never rarely, sometimes always. Wait, this is your number nine? This is my number nine. This is my number nine. Oh, is it really? What? Nice. Holy shit. Um, yeah, let's just talk about it then. Uh, you essentially have a group of girls, mainly mainly your one uh, girl played by um, Sydney Flanagan in a fantastic, fantastic role, um, deal with unwanted pregnancy and the full emotional game that that serves. And this is one that does not do that in a, oh how dare you have had sex? It is one of like, okay, this is an issue. You're not ready for this. What What are we going to do about it? And it goes through a lot of the guilt and it goes through a lot of the kind of emotional repercussions. And it also goes through some of the systemic issues of how it might have happened uh, and how things like that get perpetrated and all of the kind of 
things blocking the path to just feel okay again. It is brutal and devastating. And oh, it really, really delivers you to a place that I don't want to go to. I don't, I don't want to have to live a life like that. And I'm very lucky to not have to. Man, uh, it sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now you talk yeah. about it. <laughs> um, I mean, every, double everything you just said. Facts. Um, this this movie has some of like the most like powerful scenes of just of just like placing the camera. Probably a tripod. I don't know. I don't actually know what film cameras are placed on. Uh, and just and just sitting with. Uh, Cindy Flanagan's character and just watching her either answer questions or stare stare at herself in the mirror and in in and sit with those emotions that are are that are going on and everything that's just like happening in her life and Holy having shit. like a a full like you as the viewer having a full emotional breakdown watching somebody try and navigate a routine medical questionnaire. Where, where that literally is where you get the title from, and it's just so so heartbreaking. Yeah. Um. The the journey that these two girls go on is holy fuck. Like at first you think it's like gonna be like go here, get the get like like go through like the procedure, and then go back home, but then it turns into like so much more, and it's just like one of those things where it's like that. That can't be how it really is. Unfortunately, it is, uh, and it's it's crazy. It's really good. It's very good. Uh, my number eight is a film we've already talked about, David. It is Chloe Zhao's Nomadland. Oh, damn! Nice, nice. Um, double everything you said. <laughs> 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 to take a page out of your book. Um, yeah, it is an all-encompassing emotional journey that that deals with. Loss of purpose, uh, economic instability, environmental uh, unpreparedness, in in a very quiet, calm, and catastrophic way. Uh, again, this is another one that kind of talks about the kind of quiet cruelty of the world. You get these major corporations and industries that just, when, when they enter in, right? There are parts where... Um, Francis McDormand's character walks into like an Amazon warehouse and it just looks like it's completely enveloping her. And it's just so large and just threatening, honestly. Um, But she survives and she moves to the next place. And it talks a lot about like what it means to live or to have lived and how it has so much meaning and no meaning at all. It all depends on your own perspective. Um, David mentioned that at times it does feel like a documentary, and that's partially intentional. A lot of some of the supporting cast in this are actual nomads, people that have actually lived this life and are still living that life. And how Chloe Zhao kind of incorporates the realness of that with this kind of uh, fake narrative of Frances McDormand so beautifully intertwined together makes it feel incredibly human, incredibly real, very raw, and very remarkable. Um, I love it. It's so, so good. There's one thing that 
hearing you actually talk about it reminds me uh, that I forgot to say when I was talking about this in my number number eleven spot, and that's there's there's this one character who's talking. I I want to say it's about her husband, and how he bought this canoe or kayak. I think it was a canoe or kayak. It may also be a jet ski, not a jet ski, a snowmobile, something like that. Um, and he had always planned to take it out and like go and actually use it. But he unfortunately passed before he ever even got to experience that. And it's like talking about like having these plans that you always like anticipate yourself in the future, having time to do, but you're so busy just working, going through the grind of the daily life that you miss out on those opportunities to ever experience life in that fashion, which is push, which is what pushes some of the the characters that we see who are living life on the road as a nomad, um, which is different from uh, uh, McDormand's character. But that really hit me because, like, I feel like, I don't know about you, but, like, in my life, there's always all these things where I'm, like, I will do that, like, next year. Like, after, like, I have, like, a little bit more time or a little bit more money or, like, something else happens in my life and I'll, I'll experience those things then. And it's, like, holy shit, am I just, like, missing out on the chances to experience stuff right now? Um, that, that, I don't know, that just, I thought that was a very, like, eye-opening moment in the movie. Yeah. What's uh, what's your number eight? My number eight. Whoo, boy, oh boy, what a year it was for Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. Let's all just take a, a a minute, a moment of silence to uh to to acknowledge this dude put out five movies. Was it five in small movies? Five movies, one year, one collection, small lacks, all on Amazon. Um. <laughs> You know what? Let's give him a round of applause. Everyone, let's give a round of applause for Steve McQueen. He really went out. Oh, fuck. I pressed the wrong button. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Shit. Everyone. What, what button did you push? Did you, the... you just erase Aww. the file? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's give it up it for was... Steve McQueen. An absolute unit this year. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of crazy that... David, they're I still don't clapping. Even... You're interrupting them clapping. They're sorry, applauding sorry. Steve McQueen sorry. for making so many great films. Ones that I would have given more shout-outs, but I knew David had it on his list, so I knew that we'd talk about it anyway. And I'm doing this applause yep. thing, so... You know. Fuck off. <laughs> Is, are, they still, are they still applauding? No, they're whistling now, too. They're really Ooh, they're whistling! It, they're Hot. into it. Let's go, Steve McQueen. And hard cut. Um, hard cut from that audience applause. uh yeah he out of any filmmaker i think steve mcqueen had the greatest year of filmmaking that that i can actually ever remember i don't know anyone else who's put out this many quality films of quality in one year i would love to have known how he even did it like i think that could be like a doc like how do you film five year or five films and then plan to release them all in the same year kind of crazy the one that made my list is mangrove now as some of you may know i love uh, courtroom drama films. Uh, they're one of my favorite genres, especially when done well. And when you have Steve McQueen, an absolute legend, uh, behind the film, behind the camera, you can expect some serious quality filmmaking to, uh, to come from it. Uh, Mangrove tells the true story of the Mangrove Nine, um, and, and the, the, uh, protests that lead up to it. It, it, I did see one review that talked about this being almost two films put together, uh, one is the opening protest portion of it, uh, and then it is the court case that follows it. 
um, it definitely does have that feel of like two very distinct moments in time, which is not a bad thing at all. Like I, I, I love both of them. I think they work, work together very well. Um, but where I think that this movie truly shines is its courtroom drama scenes where it has some of the best, like, I feel like in all like courtroom movies, there's these scenes where like somebody will like say something during the questioning and it'll be like holy shit that's a game-changing moment right there and there is yep, one yep. in this movie which i a, a which i david which i <laughs> and it is like it a is like such a good visual moment because because of the way it's shot and because of like the actual object that's being held where it's like damn that is like very 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 good um but also the importance of the actual questioning and what it proves um to the jury is like such a good fucking moment holy shit i was pumped i was like yeah get him and i loved it um also beautiful film it's a steve mcqueen film if there's one thing i can ever say about a steve mcqueen film that works for every single film he's ever made they are so beautiful this he knows how to make yes um all of it, like the framing and like the way the camera is tilted for certain scenes to be able to see like the upper like viewing area is just like masterfully done. My dude very, straight very, up very is well. the avatar when it comes to bending light for film. <laughs> true. Absolute very true. unit. Um, I love this movie. Very, very good. Um, yeah, really good. Really good. I love, I, I knew I would like this film. I was a little concerned I wouldn't like it as much as I did. And I think I liked it even more than I had originally thought I would like it. I love this film. This it's movie so fucking rocks. It's so good. <laughs> Ethan. Hello. Give me that give me that number seven. Um, this was one of the first big films to get pushed back of the year, at least the ones that were on my radar that we have now actually gotten to see. And I am so, so happy I got to see it this year. It is insanely full of fire and fun and unforgiveness. And that is Promising Young oh, Woman. We're doubling up again? Doubling up again, baby? Oh my god. Um, I love it. It is a feisty and ferocious, sexy, stylish, stunning. Like, it is... It is everything I want out of a revenge flick like this. Um, it is done with, without ever compromising on the seriousness for the revenge. And that's something I think that it could have gotten wrong pretty quickly. Especially when you're talking about the subject matter like it is. But it is so fresh and in your face and unflinching. In its fireness. I loved it. Carrie Mulligan knocked it out of the park in such an engaging, aggressive way. It's so good. I'm going to say it right now. Give her the Oscar. She deserves it. She earned She's it. So she fucking crushed it. This this lead role from her is insane. It is like there is so much constantly going on with this character uh, emotionally and mentally. But she's able to simultaneously, like, restrain herself at, like, so many moments. But also, you're still able to, like, see, like, that there's so much going on inside. Um, fucking amazing. Really, as you said, I think, uh, a really, really cool, like, visual style to this film. 
that I really dug. Um, I, I enjoyed the, the like, shocking uh, Roman numeral, like, drops, especially because it doesn't open with one. And so when you get the first one, it's like, wait a second, I didn't even know we were doing this. What? <laughs> um, and the ending. Holy shit, what a fucking ending um, that I could have never guessed. I, I, I was like, wait, is, I didn't see this coming. It is a perfect crescendo after a wild and vivid ride. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. Really, really, really good. Um, damn, I didn't think we would double up twice. I'm actually thinking we might double up one more time. It's possible. Ethan. Give me your number six. My number six is my sleeper of the year. If this was not in my top 15, it would have been an absolute lock for most underrated film. I didn't think this would make it this high. I was actually really surprised that this wasn't talked about earlier. This isn't your number six. This is my number six. This is a directorial debut by the name of Lynn and Lucy. I can't believe this is your... I. This made it to six? This is my number six. What? It is insanely good. Um, you have a absolute knockout debut acting performance. Not, e- not even just like have acted in like other things, film debut. This is just complete fresh acting. Um, it is so brutal and so real and so visceral in everything it deals with. I, I wrote a review for this and I kind of talked about this on the podcast before. I'm pretty sure that we talked about... Did we talk about this on the podcast before? Maybe not. Okay. I This is... Last year I wrote reviews for everything and I kind of slacked on this this year just because there was so much going on. Uh, but I did write a review for this and I will read it as such. <laughs> Ethan, I think the reason that you slacked and didn't write reviews for everything is because you were too busy watching, watching quality, <laughs> watching really quality films such as um, <clears throat> Aliens Stole My Body and Secret Society of Seconds Born Royals. Yo, Three hours I, you could, could, original if reviews. I could have 30 <laughs> movies in my bottom five, I would have this year. <laughs> So <laughs> anyway, Lynn and Lucy, all right? An intense and emotional fracture divides our two titular friends after a tragedy strikes. The film uses many first-time actors, which help to convey brutal realism, with Roxanne Scrimshaw giving a breathtaking debut performance. As more and more is learned and unlearned about the tragedy at the heart of this film, we see how unrelenting the world can be, both in its care and in its cruelty. Damn, that is a phrase I've been using a lot this year. Whew! Uh, all this results in a deeply affecting and moving piece of cinema, a mixture that is rarely done so perfectly as in this. It's so You know, good. it's kind of weird, because I don't know what the rest of your list looks like. I have a feeling I can get some of them. This is the movie, now seeing where it landed, that I regret the most not seeing. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really good. Because I think last time I saw this, this was like in like your, like, teens area like upper teens I, I went through and rethought about a lot of them and like the impact they've had with me and this is one that's that's moved around a lot on my list but i'm really happy with where it's ended up number six lynn and lucy absolutely brutal my number six is also a film that we've already talked about i say also because i think you also said that earlier but not for your number six just to also clarify. also 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 also, also. also? Uh, mine is the foreign film, 
Um, Baccarat. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I dude. fucking love this film. I'm going to take something. I'm going to steal something that you told me after I watched this and we were talking on the phone. Um, this has the same constant uh, change of direction that uh, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite has, where you think you know what it is, and then it changes, and then you think you know what it is, and it continues to change in a way that is, like, so, like, surprising, but also works perfectly. Like, there's no, like, it's not like a speedy or, like, a bumpy uh, change of directions. It is a smooth and, like, confident, like, change. It's like, Instantly, here is more information for the for the viewer, and now your entire perception of everything you saw prior to this changes, and I fucking love that. Um, it's a movie that you can't even explain what the premise is uh, without like spo- like spoiling those changes. All I can say is it, uh, as I think you said, is a very gruesome film um, that follows a small town in uh, Brazil. Uh, named uh, from for the for the title of the movie Baccarat, um, and certain events that happened. This movie to to really sell how wild the movie is. The opening shot is a water truck carrying a uh, small time doctor going back home, uh, driving down a road full of empty coffins, and running <laughs> yeah. over said coffins. It's it's one of the most like like when you say it you think like yeah that's a pretty like straightforward opening. I've never seen something that like perfectly like raises questions. Like there's so many questions in this opening scene and I'm just like uh, I need to like yeah, two two and a half hours cool with me. I just like <laughs> need to like I need more of that. Opening's fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um this movie <laughs> so good. Oh my god, I'm so happy I saw this, especially as my last movie of the year so pleased with this holy shit yeah it's good it's good isn't it yeah that's really good ethan we're diving into the top five we've made it here of our finest 15 we've made it here the top five the absolute best films of the year according to our own personal biased opinions (laughs) true and i'm gonna kick it off with my number five yeah deer skin God, Deerskin's in the top five? Deerskin made it to the top five. This is a movie that landed absolutely perfectly with me. That does not mean it's going to land perfectly with everyone. But for me, this was (laughs) everything I wanted the movie to be and more. You have so much style and such aggressiveness. It is one that increasingly gets suddenly and shockingly more and more violent in a very engaging and enthralling way. The way they come up i guess the the way the movie progresses with new truths is baffling in in a very bold and brilliant way so the fact that our main character gets a video camera makes him a filmmaker and that's just now the fact of the film and that kind of linear progression of truth is so interesting from a narrative point Essentially, the film is about a man who gets a really fucking sick-ass jacket. I'm talking serious drip on this man. He gets a deerskin jacket, and his jacket looks so damn cool that he realizes that he has to be the only person in the world with a jacket. Because that's how good the jacket is. There can't even be other jackets. 
And so he sets about to achieve that task. And I'll leave it there um, in terms of telling you what happens in the movie. It is so, so inventive, so interesting, and I loved every single second of it. To be fair, I'm so it's a pretty cool jacket. I'm still so, so fucking shocked that this is as high as it is. Oh, I love it. This I is this absolutely. is my climax of the year. <laughs> True. Um, my number five is again another foreign film that we've already talked about. And that is Thomas Vinterberg's Another Round. Um, that made the top five for you. That's made sick. the top five. I fucking love this film. Um, it's it takes. I'm gonna double everything you said on your review. Ooh, your portion of it. Nice, nice, nice. Um, quadruple. It. Yep. It. It is able to take a look at alcoholism in such a unique way that honestly, like I've never seen something do it this way, where it it does it uh, by investigating a true uh, study that says that the body is born with a uh, uh, BAC um, of 0.05 lower than than the like the needed amount or like the 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 actual amount that you're supposed to be at a deficit Um, and a group of friends that want to investigate this theory which is it's crazy to me that also this is actually a real experience like a real study that was done Um, that's crazy like that's really interesting Um, and as you may guess, like, when you are, like, a little buzz, like, yeah, you do get those benefits of being, like, a little bit more outgoing, a little bit, like, happier, like, with things that you're doing. But a good thing can never last for too long. Um, and they eventually start to uh, to, to come face-to-face with, like, the, the realization of the negatives of being an alcoholic and, like, what that can do to your personal life. Uh, whether it be, like, just, like, simple basic responsibilities of, like, picking up groceries. Um, and also, like, the the um, the seductiveness of that, ex- like, that level of, of freedom of, like, being a little bit buzzed. And, like, wanting to push it a little bit further to see, like, what those next levels can bring. Um, and as this film shows, like, there, there, there's certain levels that are just, like, very, very uh, difficult to deal with. Um, also, obviously, the final scene, fucking amazing. I've watched that scene alone like 20 times already. I love it. It's it's up there with like ex machina level of dance scenes. Uh, it actually might pass it, <laughs> Good, which is shocking. Good. I I never thought ex machina would would lose the first place best uh, dance for dance scene. scenes. Yep. Yeah. Really good. Also, Mads, holy shit, he's like so. I feel like everyone never, nobody ever talks negatively about Mads, but I feel like he's always forgotten about. Like when you're talking about like those like superior act like actors, and Mads is so good. Like he was really good in The Hunt, fantastic in The Hunt. I think I like him here more. Like just seeing like his like his like lethargicness in like the opening scenes, like prior to the experiment, and then like seeing like. How, like, just, like, a little bit, like, changes in, like, the smallest little, like, mannerisms of them. I love it. Yeah, it's 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 so good. I loved it. It's really good. I love it. It's such a unique premise, too. It's also a film. I feel like if you were, like, hey, you should watch this film about a group of teachers that um, start holding a BAC of .05, people are going to be like, what? <laughs> it's so, it's such a unique, but, like, still simple film. I love it. 
Uh, Ethan, number four. Give me that number four. My number four features the uh, the most crushing and chaotic performance of the year, and that comes from Riz Ahmed in the film *Sound of Metal*. the The premise of the film: you have a rock and roll drummer uh, who very quickly starts to lose his hearing, and then almost immediately completely loses his hearing and it deals with all of the emotional repercussions of that all of the societal consequences and personal sacrifices he has to make because of that Um, it is a very very disruptive and life-altering moment for him and he does not take it exceedingly well Um, you have a character that does not have a great support system to begin with. Um, You see, especially in Olivia Cook's performance, how fractured and fragile this event makes them in in a very, very brutal and deeply, deeply affecting way. Eventually, you start to see Riz Ahmed's character get to a decent support net. And it's still doesn't quite work there's still so much and it is so abrupt and abrasive and soul crushing to him this massive massive change from a a musician whose entire life was based on sound and now all that is there is nothingness it's really brutal it's really genuine it's really visceral and vibrant i I was not affected by anything else, uh, near nearly any other uh, performances um, from 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 this year as Riz Ahmed in it. Um, I think the sound design is exceptional. Um, this is one that I don't I don't think another film holds a candle to the sound design in this, and that's might not only be this year. I think this is a massive massive masterpiece uh, in terms of its technical and its emotional achievements it's really good (laughs) i don't know what else to say than that i agree i concur (laughs) (laughs) all right give me your number four david my number four is a film that we'll be talking about later on uh and that is minari so Minari it follows a uh, Korean family as they are getting settled into their new home. I forget which city it is. Arkansas that they're that they just moved to. My favorite city, uh, Arkansas. Sorry, this the state, Arkansas. They don't. <laughs> I don't think they actually say, say the city. Um, as the father, played by Stephen Yoon, is about to start setting up a new farm. That's a weird way of explaining it. But the movie focuses on uh, David. Great name. Great name. True. Uh, the seven-year-old boy who has a <clears throat> a heart condition i guess um and this this film just really follows like the sh- the struggles that the family deals with as a whole uh due to external forces and uh 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 prejudice 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 how do you say the word prejudices the word? yeah that's it thank you um um from from other people but it also just focuses on like living and like fuck i don't i it's such like a in in insanely personal film for every single character in this family um each 
each person has their own journey that they're kind of on and their own struggles and their own hurdles that they're trying to get over and the barriers that are holding them back um, from taking that next step. I think the seven-year-old boy, David, oh my God, sweetest, sweetest little boy ever. He's my favorite David I know. You son of a bitch. <laughs> um, uh, the, 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 the grandmother that, that is introduced uh, about a third of the way into the film, maybe a little bit sooner, um, is such a such a sweet and loving grandmother um, that the only other grandmother I can remember being such a, like a, like, realistic and, like, Abe is probably also just because it's, like, the only other grandmother I can think that is given this much, like, screen time because I feel like grandmothers really, like, there's not too many, like, Famous True. film grandmothers. Grandmas are oppressed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, from uh, Nine Eye from The Farewell, both grandmothers are so different, but True. still just like ooh, so different. But like both ooze like so much like raw and like natural like grandma like things that they're doing that I'm just like oh my god like yes I just yeah I just love my grandmas um to be honest um <laughs> so, so maybe they just like hit, to my grandma. deep spot yeah um. This is a really good movie. We'll, we'll talk about this later. I, I already know that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, Ethan, give me your number three. My number three is a documentary with no dialogue and no music. Oh my god, what? Whoa. Holy shit. <laughs> Gunda is the tale of a mother pig who is giving birth uh, to a group of piglets at the start of the film. And we see them start to grow up a little bit, and we get a kind of look at this simple farm life. Um, What seems like a gorgeously shot black-and-white slice-of-life film for a pig at first uh, turns into a much more monolithic story of nature and about what it means to be alive (laughs) Uh, and the kind of emotional complexity that we see in creatures things that are usually just disregarded or thrown away Uh, it gives a very very personal and intimate look at animal life especially farm life it is incredibly brutal at some points uh, and excessively beautiful at all points it is a film that i cannot recommend more to literally anyone um this is not one that you have to have a certain taste in movies this is not one that like you need to like certain genres this will move you no matter what um it has the some of the best acting of the decade and it's from animals that do not know they're in a movie the emotional range and depth that you get from Gunda would be a lock at the Oscars. But obviously, they're not going to give it to my queen, Gunda. <laughs> it's the best movie about a pig I've done ever seen. And ever? Yes. You're telling me this is topping. Name another. Babe 2. Pig in the Big City? No, just, just Pig in the City. Normal sized city. Damn it, not big city. Damn it. 
Um, but yeah, it, it is absolutely stunning. Um, it is a cinematic masterpiece, a complete triumph in filmmaking, uh, and a moving piece of pure art. I love this friggin' pig. I would do anything to protect Gunda. 10 out of 10. Best pig. Best pig. Gunda. Um, 10 out of 10. Great fucking poster. True. My number three was Ethan's number four. Sound of Metal. I think that was in your number four, right? Yep. I knew, <laughs> I knew it was going to be soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, everything you said, yes. Riz Ahmed. Absolutely transcendent performance. Give him the Oscar right now. Holy shit. What a year also for Riz. My God. This Absolutely dude crushed it. Between this and Mogul Mockley, I can't even... I like I, I love Riz. Everything I've seen him, I'm a big fan. Um, but Riz, this Riz is, like, is the acting equivalent of Steve McQueen's directing year. Yeah, true. Um, I like both absolute like both performances are Oscar worthy, um, of like winning, not just like nominating. Like, but 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 the fact that he did them both the same year—it's crazy. Um, <clears throat> this film is is heartbreaking in in such a unique way uh because i don't feel like we typically see films where somebody is is forced with a um but a a change of life that is going to so drastically impact his the the life he's been living for so long and the life that he loves um that moving forward would be almost nearly impossible um to continue to live the same life that he's been living um it's a film about learning to live with with the with the hand that you've been dealt i guess so I, that's I didn't plan on saying that, um, and it's it's so unique because there are so many things that you think are going to be this like, like yes we did it like moments, that aren't and in in they 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 bring up new, uh, struggles and new realities that you'll that he's forced to live with, and every single time it's just like just as like heartbreaking as like the previous thing. It's like. A very heartbreaking film. Holy shit. Also, what you said about the sound editing, fuck. Yes. 100%. It is like, it, it's a film that you think like, oh, how are you going to like put somebody in those shoes and like make it seem real? But the way that they work with the sound is like, oh my God, like, fuck. Um, the relationship between him and Olivia Cook is like so interesting to watch. There are so many aspects to that relationship that I love. Uh, Olivia Cook is also like equally fantastic in this movie. She plays like two totally different characters here. It's insane. Uh, Paul Racy, Rossi, Racy. How do you say his last name? I don't know. Um, probably fantastic. one of those two ways. Probably one of those two. <laughs> Watch it not though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's amazing. I loved his character. It is such a warm, a warm and welcoming character that. I want to hug him. I like. I just really want to hug this guy. He's so nice. He's so nice and like so in tune with the world. Um, I really like this movie. This is another. This is another one of the films. This is the only other film on this list that I wanted to watch one more time. I thought this had like serious ch chances of going even higher. Um, but number three. Number three is pretty damn good. So, Sound of Metal, fucking fantastic. Holy shit. This. <laughs> Do you smell that? It smells like it's getting a Criterion release at some point. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> <laughs>
It's that classic Criterion smell wafting through the air. <laughs> you know it's so true, though. It's definitely going to get one. I'll be buying it. I love this movie. It's the top but... two time, David. We're at the final two. We are. Top two movies. 2020. Two, two. Two. Number two. My number two. My second favorite movie <laughs> of 2020. Shiva Baby is insanely, unparallelly fantastic. The Coen brothers wish they could write claustrophobic comedy this well. Uncut Gems wishes it could be this stressful. It is unrivaled in enjoyability. I don't even know where to begin talking about this masterpiece. Rachel Sennett, I think that's how you say her name. <laughs> Rachel Sennett, or Rachel Sennett, which, however the pronunciation is, if I truly cared about films, I would know. Um, <laughs> gives an absolute knockout performance and is now my, like, top-tier actress to watch forever. Like, I will watch mm-hmm. solely based on, on her being in the cast. She's so good. Yep. This film has She's such chaotic... Fantastic bisexual energy that i don't even know how to begin to unpack and digress um i watched this film three times two of them back to back which was the first viewing we watched it and then immediately watched it again it is insanely good it is so stressful but so enthralling david i love this movie so much i cannot get over it the end scene Send chills down my <laughs> spine. Every new thing that happens in this crazy Jewish 4D chess of a funeral <laughs> is mind-blowing. I love it. Every performance is great. Each person that you meet, each like new family member or distant relative or old friend that comes into it, just gets more and more chaotic and troublesome and more uh, like emotionally invasive in a really, really entertaining, but uh, uh, definitely not something I would want to be a part of experience. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Shove a baby. Interesting. Rocks my socks. Huh. You don't say. That's interesting. David, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is another film similar to The Wolf of Snow Hollow that is written, directed, and led acted? Acted? And starring? And starring. That was the word I was looking for. (laughs) Holy struggle fest. acted's powerful, though. (laughs) And starring um, all the same person. And that is Cooper Rapes Shithouse. Hmm. That's very high. It is very high. Wow. Um, I, I I did not get around well, to seeing this one. I know. I know. This movie is like such a personal take on what it means to leave your house for the first time and go somewhere new like where you aren't around those like um those like same same like your your, your family or your same friends that you grew up with and having to like forge your own path. But tr- also trying to figure out, like, how do you even do that? Like, how do you, how do you 
not have those those connections that you had and those relationships that you are so used to and like like can always rely on like turning to them and like going to them for help um in such a like pretty intimidating like situation which is like your first your first time at college wait like especially when it's your first time leaving the house um it also deals with the your your first like real uh relationship romantic relationship and what that's like um but also dealing with an individual who probably socially isn't that uh adept with like having those types of connections cooper rafe's shithouse is able to tell this story and at the same time being like cooper being the the lead actor here um tell a um an equally similar story from the lead actress um and and like have like these like these like perfectly uh reflecting stories that tell like different things that perfectly like mesh together uh it's a heartbreaking story but also a heartwarming story it is extremely relatable um and i i really like this movie it's just like it's such a warm and like easy movie to watch but also heartbreaking it it's a perfect movie that if you want to see like something break you but then also push you back together at the same time um it deals with like the really fucking difficult like realities of like of like that like the like the morning after and being like how do you go about like reaching out to somebody again and like talking like especially from the point of view of somebody who doesn't know how to handle those types of communications and like relationships it's really interesting i really like this movie i really didn't expect anything from this if this wasn't in my top 15 this would have been like the biggest surprise because a movie called shit house sounds like it's I'm gonna be very shit. shocked that it is yeah. this high that is insane no, I know. to me um it just it landed so fucking well with me it 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 never missed. Like every single scene here, I, I loved, and and yeah, it's fucking, it's so good. I, I really like this movie. Ethan, hello. Hey, what's up, David? Look at the clock. Seven fourteen. It is well. <laughs> okay, it is number one film of twenty twenty. A clock. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you meant the actual clock. I was like, what? Nope. <laughs> But thanks anyway. We're finally here. We are at each other's top films of the year. Uh, it's and what a year it's been, huh? What a year it has been. Give it up for 2020, a perfect faultless year. Um, <laughs> when we've spent this entire time talking about the films of 2020, right? And it's been quite a chaotic year, quite an emotional year. Um. But when we're looking at the films of 2020, none of them came even close to being as sweet and sensitive as Minari. It's this kind of dulcet look at the American dream built with such care and compassion that genuinely completely encompasses every single part of the film. You have this majestic and enchanting score riding alongside each scene, filling every single space with this vivid and vibrant life to it. You have fantastic knockout career best performances from Stephen Yun. You also have insane performances from Alan Kinn, one of the 
I would say easily the best child acting debut since Brooklyn Pierce in the Florida Project. And I think it rivals that. Um, this felt very That's reminiscent of the Florida there, Project to me. Is that a hot take? I don't no, know if that is a, a hot take. take. It's, a, it's a good tip. It's a hot take. I think the... I... <laughs> Sorry, continue. I'm just thinking... The only other name that comes to mind is Elsie Fisher. That's also good. Not as young, though. Not as young. No, true, that's, true, true. That's true takeaway. Yeah. Weirdly enough, uh, Elsie Fisher and Alan Kim are going to be in an A24 movie coming up. I, I know. Just so you know. Did, I was going to say this earlier. Did you see the plot synopsis of it? <laughs> yeah, it looks sick. <laughs> it sounds so good. Holy shit. But Sorry, anyway, continue. we're talking about Minari. <laughs> Um, everything about Minari feels so real and genuine and moving. It's, it's a very, it's a, it's a rare film deserving to be deeply cherished. It has an innate and intuitive ability to completely teleport you to equal parts childlike wonder and dysphoric sadness, which is wholly unequaled this year. You have so many quiet personal moments of the best and worst of everyday life can offer, you have the the stress of whether or not to bring your product that you want to pitch to someone inside from the car while you're dealing with real like child medical emergencies and you're having this kind of back and forth emotional like barrier being built this hole in the ground being ripped apart of this family dynamic all while you have so much emotion so much growth and so much change occurring minari is terrific and thoughtful and timeless and triumphant and trusting and touching and infinitely tender it is a perfect movie for 2020 for me um the the title comes from the actual plant Minari, which uh, is a very resilient plant, which can can grow pretty much anywhere it's planted. And you see that in the film, and that is fully what the film is about. It is the most personal tale, and it is perfect. Minari is my number one film of 2020. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I do think Minari actually might be that film. It's I think it's between Minari and Sound of Metal for favorite titles post viewing a film. Right. Like I really, I really, really like. At first, I thought Minari was like okay. I was like I because I didn't actually know what the plant was, and I was like oh, cool title. Um, but then after seeing it and like getting like the explanation of what Minari is, I was like fuck, a really, really, really good title. Um, <laughs> Ethan, we're here. We are. Look at the clock. It's, it's now 7.19 p.m. <laughs> CST. Um, that's Central Standard Time, um, if you were wondering. Uh, <laughs> okay. Ethan, I, I kicked off my, my list, my finest 15, with a film that I probably wouldn't have watched if it wasn't for your recommendation. And I end my list with a film... I probably wouldn't have even heard of if it wasn't for you. So thank you. My list is dedicated to my co-host, Ethan. I would like uh, to dedicate his... my list um, <sighs> to the proud patriots that we lost on Capitol Hill. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. <laughs> um, 
for I'd like to make this dedication for the person who helped me form this list. Um, because it wouldn't be the same without without your your oh, recommendation. That's sweet. You this also movie, gave me like a movie or two, I think. I gave you your number fifteen, so fuck off. True, true. Yeah, you gave me one film. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. You you had a lot of influence on my list. Um, my number one is Shiva Baby. Holy fuck! What a goddamn movie. Oh, my my uh, my summarization for this film is that this film is the social equivalent of being waterboarded. Uh, I think that still fits. Uh, it is such a socially stressful film that, like, never lets up. Like, it, 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 is, it is constant social pressures weighing down on our lead character. Um, and then, like, two seconds of, like, of, like, not being under that pressure. And then you're immediately thrown back into it that might fuck up the mic. Um, and it is it is a stressful film to watch. <laughs> like, holy shit, it's very stressful to watch. You know, here's the thing, David. I don't think people know this is a comedy. <laughs> this is a comedy. It's also, <laughs> like, like built into the stress is, like, one of the, like, most perfectly written dark humor, humor comedies. Um, I was going to say of the year, but, like, period. Like, not of... Not just of the year. Like, it is so, so smart and so funny. And it is, like, non-stop funny and stressful. And, like, it it takes... It, it's also... Another another type of film that I love is, like, these single location films that are just, like, tightly, like, d- like shown in, like, one room or one house. And that's what this is, with the exception of, like, the opening scene. Um, but it essentially takes place in one house um, over the course of a few hours. I would assume, um, and 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 our our lead actress just trying to. Uh, I feel like most of it's real time. Probably yeah, I, yeah, probably. Um, it's so good. I'm so happy you told me to watch this movie or told me about this movie even existing. Um, and I and I gave you access to it. True, that is also true. For a film that is not even eighty minutes in runtime, it felt like it was so much longer because of like how stressful it was. Like for a film that shit. doesn't even have a poster, who would have known it would be this good? Right? Yo, that's a crime. This movie needs a poster that just slaps. Um, I love this movie. This is the same reaction I had to seeing Blind Spotting in theaters, where as soon as I walked out of the theater, I wanted to go and buy another ticket and watch it immediately after because i knew that i would leave the theater only wanting to think and experience those feelings again it is such a good movie i love this movie also probably another crime of a movie this year that probably won't get physical media release um right that kills me that kills me because i as some of you may know i love buying blu-rays i have a very large collection and i'm trying to be a little bit more uh concise with my purchasing of, of physical media just because of like the actual physical limitations of space um but shiva baby is a movie i would immediately buy day one and the fact that i probably won't have that opportunity really sucks because this movie oh, i i love this movie this movie's so good i can't even believe i am shocked at how good this film is like like when you when you when you said that like it this this makes uncut gems look like a fucking, like, smooth sailing, like, no sweat <laughs> off my ass kind of film. 
Like, it's so true, and I never thought that that would be possible. <laughs> right? I never thought, like, I thought Uncut Gems was, like, extremely stressful. Oh, my God, that's a walk in the park. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love Shiva Baby. We've done really, it. Really top. We did it. That's our list. David. That's our list. We're under three hours. Every year, we come up with a theme for the year. Of, of movies, and 2020 was going on quite a year, um, and I had a thought, and, and hear me out, I have two, I have two kind of options for this, both in the similar vein. The Boars have retaken cinema, and nature is healing by force. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of force, a lot of violence, a lot of unexpected violence, a lot of animals, and it kind of fits in uh, with like Minari. You have the the healing of nature. You have uh, the freedom of nomad land going out in nature. What do you think? A lot of the films um, are about healing. I think I would go number two. Yeah, on this. nature is healing by force. I think I have one that I did not put as much thought into, okay. uh, so I don't have, like, a cool little jingle to it. But I think that, like, one of the constant themes throughout a lot of films this year is, like, and maybe this is maybe this is just, like, uh, secretly, like, all movies together. But um, learning to live in, like, new, like, in, 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 like, a new reality, right? Or, like, a new, like, yeah view of the world. Like, Soul, Nomadland, Sound of Metal... Um, what is it called? Like adjustment more. cramps? Yeah. Something like yes. that. Yes, 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 Um, and I think that's something that like I, I at least like saw because like if you look at like even like the ending shots of like Soul and Sound of Metal, it's like it's like identical, um, in like both like the way it's shot, but also like the symbology of like the actual like. What if we did adapting suddenly? Nature is healing. I love it. I love it. All right. I love it. Sign me up. Adapting suddenly, nature is healing. I think that's pretty good. I, I think that's pretty good. I'm please. All right, David. That's it. Podcast is over. <laughs> that's it. Now, hey, time to uh, no time movies. to time will to we, kick off. Uh, maybe see 20? Dune. <laughs> Hope so. Don't don't talk like that. Don't 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 bring that. I've been hurt here. before. <laughs> I still think. This year would have been insane if we would have actually gotten all those 2021 20, now True. movies. Like, can you imagine trying to find room in here for, like, Dune, uh, French Dispatch, uh, uh, One Night in Soho, holy shit, Green Knight, oh my god. True. It'd be impossible. We'll see you on I'm super excited. next year, hopefully. And we'll see you then. Hopefully. Goodbye. Bye.